Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia, and it's just me hosting this time. I'm usually here with Ellie, the co-host, um, but schedules happen. So I'm here with my really good friend, Malika, who researches extremism, a violent extremism, and we're going to talk about that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Can you talk about what, what your research focuses? Do you focus on any particular groups, or do you kind of look at all types of extremism across the board? Uh, so I look at extre- all types of extremism across the board, and the I guess in the past there have been a lot of problems where uh, CVE work, so countering violent extremism programs and initiatives, they were really problematic because they primarily focused on Muslims specifically, so targeting black and brown communities especially, which is which has given CVE understandably a very bad name, and it's really unproductive, and it's a lot of work to overcome that. And honestly, the roots of CVE are really problematic. So how do you even escape that? That's like a different discussion. Okay. But I think part of the solution is for um, anyone researching this to, I'm not at an academic level, more on like a practitioner level. They should definitely look at extremisms across the board and not you know, just one form of extremism because especially right now, uh, a lot of things, new extremisms are also emerging. So uh, in yeah. order to av- avoid any stigmatization and, you know, stay, stay true to what the actual environment looks like, which is right now there's uh, the white supremacist threat is the, ma- the, the majority of the domestic threat right now. And mm-hmm. that's backed up by FBI statistics. So no one can can or should deny so, that as a fact. Yeah. How do you argue the numbers? So this brings up this article in The Guardian. It's it's from last year, but I think it's still highly relevant um, in this political climate. And actually, always. There is a um, data journalist, Mona Chalabi. So um, Mona Chalabi is a data journalist for The Guardian. She's amazing. You all should check her out. But I'm going to focus on this one article um, from July 20th, 2018. It talks about how, yeah, terrorist attacks committed by Muslim extremists receive, in this article, it says 357% more U.S. press coverage than those committed by non-Muslims. So I think, like, this is super relevant to what we're talking about. Well, personally, I have to admit I have not uh, d- done the work behind that, the statistical analysis. Uh, oh, okay. But studies that, you know, like hers that have been done, they d- more recently within the past year, I'd say, that that does remain a consistent theme. I'm not sure of the like precise numbers, if it's okay. how much it has or has not fluctuated. But uh, in terms of media coverage of, you know, attacks done by Muslims, that definitely does receive more attention in the media. Mm-hmm. And of course, that, you know, in turn shapes public views of terrorism. So when someone hears the word terror, you know what will come to mind is a you know a brown Muslim foreigner so to speak right and it's it racializes everything can we talk about like some of the patterns that you've noticed kind of what are the factors that you have found might lead someone to go down a path like this yeah so the first misconception about uh, terrorists and terrorism is the idea that there's a set path to radicalization you know like you pass through step one and then step two you're closer to becoming a violent extremist step three then you're even closer step four you do something uh-huh. but in reality you know each the, these paths are as unique as the individual themselves and Got it. Uh, studies studies done have definitely have demonstrated by a lot of sociologists in the field uh, I'll have to send you a list like mm-hmm. of names so that can be a reference uh, okay. but yeah they they show that these paths are very diverse and unfortunately there's not a one-size-fits-all which 
Yeah. You know, it w- frankly, it would be nice if you could just have a, a one solution, a generic solution, yeah. and then you solve extremism. For sure. But it would no, make intervention a lot yeah. more predictable. It's just like or, personal background plays such a huge factor. The individual psychology plays into it. The political environment, too. And another and another misconception that that experts are saying is that the, the po- economic poverty, mm-hmm. that's not really, it hasn't been shown to be a linkage between the likelihood of someone becoming a terrorist or being attracted to a violent extremist group there's no there's actually no link apparently that's what the studies have shown so i think when we overturn these these common misconceptions uh then we can begin to have more honest conversations about terrorism and violent extremism and how to hopefully help people before they take that kind of you know before they go that far so i I think i think there's a lot of really interesting things being done but in terms of effective approaches Mm -hmm. it looks like bringing informers so people who used to be in extremist movements uh bringing informers Mm to uh kind of change the narrative and you know tell people who are thinking about this kind of stuff hey i've been there i did that you don't want to do it you know like trust me i've been through it and you know uh it's there's a group called life after hate which is composed primarily of former white uh, white supremacists, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they, it looks like they you know they're doing great work and that they're doing interventions on a very personal level. So yeah. not involving law enforcement, so you're invo- uh, avoiding that problematic linkage, you know, of the old CVE stuff, you know, of feeding like intel directly into like let's say a police agency when no one has done anything wrong. You're just having extremist thoughts, which under freedom of speech, it's not illegal to you know think extremist things. Mm-hmm. So safeguarding that. That right, you know, even though it's a lot of these ideas, extremism is like you know pretty horrific. You yeah. Know? Uh, and when it when it uh, marginalizes people and you hate the other, uh, yeah. so but um, without you know criminalizing them at the same time because again they haven't done anything yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe sometimes there are like personal traumas that happen uh, throughout their life, so that's a very individualized thing. But you know, it just kind of grades down on the person's resiliency, and then perhaps they start to see you know, things in black and white, or it's easier to have answers, or yeah. if they have an uncertain future, they might be afraid, like, what, what's next? But extremism maybe provides that, that like, uh, it sounds weird, but like a, struct- a structure in a way to yeah. their lives. Yeah, and that's not everyone. Again, it's like very individualized. There are people from, you know, middle-class wealthy backgrounds, you know, uh, that get into this stuff. And yeah. you think they have everything in the world, yet these ideas are attractive to them. So there are plenty of cases where you, it's just hard to figure out yeah, like, what yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. triggers mm-hmm. these, uh, these feelings or whatever. Um, can you talk about more on a personal level? Um, how did you even get into this? I mean, for the listeners, can you talk about how you got into this field? Yeah, sure. So I've always been interested in uh, international studies, and mm-hmm. I kind of thought I would eventually just kind of do something involving, you know, international relations or something more along the lines of that. But I was in Paris during the November 13th, 2015 attack, so the Bataclan, it's kind of referred mm-hmm. to as that. Although there were mul- like multiple attacks around the city, Bataclan was like the huge, the, the, I think the one with the biggest, the biggest casualties. Yeah. Uh, so I was in Paris during that time and then uh, yeah that's kind of you know it was really scary so I, I realized I wanted to understand more because sometimes when you're afraid understanding more will solve the fear and it mm-hmm. kind of it has for me personally but it's yeah. it's really sad you know like why would someone do this you know what is going on what is the you know how would these people even coordinate this yeah and there I mean there are answers to that but yeah I cannot talk about that specifically um, for sure but yeah and then speaking just to tie in the queer issue um, yeah. yeah so a week so a week after the November 13th attacks I, I went to 
to uh, an inclusive Juma with uh, gay Imam Ludovic Mohammed Zahid. He's Algerian and French, uh, and he le and he's uh, trying to pave a way for queer Muslim spaces in in Europe. And I think he's visited the U.S. as well. But he's doing really neat work, and it was so nice to uh, experience, you know, uh, being able to offer salat, but like with other people who share that mm -hmm. really open-minded idea and not making you force. Uh, I guess you're uh, forced make a choice between being queer and being Muslim. And then we also prayed in mixed gendered lines. I didn't have to cover my hair because I mean, no one cared. And it was just really nice to show up as you wanted. And if yeah. people wanted to cover their hair, that's no problem. You know, it's just freedom of yeah. how you want to connect with, with God. I'm sure you that would have been meaningful no matter when, but yeah, but having especially, it be after that, yeah. Yeah, and it actually the time too was precisely a week because I looked at the clock wow. and it's like, wow, it was like exactly on like a yeah. on time, you know. Are there any other groups that you want to mention that have been on your radar lately? Yeah, so I think incels is becoming a group that's being looked at right now, mm -hmm. especially in the field of this kind of research and it's really interesting, interesting. because um, I guess you know I, I understand why people the the reactions to make fun of incels like oh haha ha, look at them they're lonely men who blame their their problems on on that on women which is which is true I mean honestly I'm not going to deny that but at the same time these are people who you know have issues with depression uh, I've, I've you know I do look at the incel uh, various incel forums frequently because I just kind of want to keep up with what's going on and a lot of them are more of like self-depressed I guess and yeah. suicidal which is sad you know because for one reason or another they can't socially connect with others other people and then okay. you know there's a lot of misogyny so there's no denying that but there's also you know incels who who understand that that for one reason one per reason or another personally they're just not able to find a romantic partner and incels can be women too by the way mm. and that they and they don't actually blame the opposite sex they just go okay i'm an incel i own it my life is sad i hate so myself so they turn to each other and like yeah. try to form a bond or yeah, and it's not to deny that there's violence and horrible misogyny that exists, so I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for them, but it's it's really is kind of a really complicated community and the more that people overgloss it, I guess, on a on a national level in terms of media coverage, it can be kind of dangerous almost yeah. because it's this stuff is very individualized and I think successful interventions going back to that would totally rely on a very personalized approach of knowing the person, the background, you know, their ideology, you know, however mm -hmm. that plays into all of it. So it's not, yeah, and, and then making fun of people on a national level, can, yeah. it, it was not, it's not very helpful. It's very kind of reactionary. And I get it yeah. though, because like when you hear stuff like what Alec Manassi and the van attacker did, and of course, Elliot Roger, you know, you it's, it's like infuriating, but the whole point of yeah. terrorism is to draw that emotion out. So if you can kind of like, get the emotion out, but then th think in terms of strategically and right. slow it down a bit, then I think we can find a lot more, I guess, so better solutions to respond to violent extremism and mm -hmm. trying to help people that still have a time to get out of it before they go all in. Hmm. Yeah, and actually, interesting. interestingly, yeah. with the queer stuff, there is a queer connection here because uh, there's a woman in Canada, her name's Alana, and she's a queer woman, and she initially founded the whole concept of the incel community. There's some great podcasts on that too. So if you just type in incel and you look on yeah, podcasts, the out, yeah. whole history will come up about that. But yeah, right. she's a queer woman and her, the purpose of her founding this online community, I think like maybe in the 90s, 
yeah. uh, was was to find support for people like her who couldn't find a romantic partner and just give each other kind of life advice. And it was very welcoming of other queer people, yeah. straight people, it didn't really matter. It was pretty inclusive. And then of course the internet being the internet, after she left the it's whole like scene, snowballed into yep, it became else. a shit show. Yeah. And you know, 4chan, 8chan, all that crap just created a very toxic masculinity. And as always men took over, well not took over, but yeah. dominate. Yeah, and then you Most saw all that misogynistic it. language, again, which can't be denied with a lot of incels, but yeah. not, not you know, there are parts of the community that are just plain old depressed, mm -hmm. which is which is sad, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to, yeah, it's interesting to think about, like, the origins of something like the incel community and realize it might not have been formed with the same intent as, like, what people are going into it to. Yeah, yeah. and there's an interesting know. podcast called Incel, I think you maybe listened to it. Um, maybe it's called they, Incel. It's actually called Incel. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. Incel if I podcast or something. Okay. It, I don't think yeah, I heard that one. The person interviewed different incels and they came onto her. Oh, podcast. interesting. Yeah, it was. It was an, it was an interesting listen. Yeah, I have to check that out. I, I appreciate what you say about how important it is to just kind of understand what's going on and to realize like things need to be looked at more in depth and the reactionary statements like you brought up and the emotion driven ones are justified like they're justified to an extent but then when that becomes uh the dominating rhetoric it doesn't really help yeah because um, i don't yeah. want to invalidate you know people who who are directly threatened by this kind of dangerous rhetoric women people of color queer people right it's it's very yeah. harmful on an extremely personal level so i get emotional too i'm like oh well screw them you Absolutely, know they're yeah. awful but then you know once you get the emotion out it's yeah. when you want to approach it at a system at a systemic level like how do you yeah. kind of i guess alleviate this then it has to be more of like emotionless so to speak but yeah, there's definitely like there's place for emotion. that's hard because so i don't like you're not allowed to have emotion yeah like no it's justified Yeah, because like even talking about the word incel it's I'm I'm feeling <laughs> reactionary to it. I'm yeah. like kind of getting upset by it and like but And I've definitely come across people in person who definitely had those kind of vibes and we all know what I mean by incel vibes. Mm -hmm. And it kinda of freaked me out. Yeah. Frankly, so yeah. It's who, a little people scary. who cross boundaries who get upset if you uh, gaslight you and get upset if you set boundaries and Yeah. And I guess, you know, we all have and I'm sure anyone listening has those experiences and like has that emotional reaction like I am right now. And like, me too. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah, it's so and normal. So, <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it's um, when you are in the role of a researcher, you, you're able to set that aside. Maybe, sometimes have, not, but like, yeah, there's like, you like just compartmentalize. Have to try to, yeah. <laughs> put it away for later, then bring it back out because invalidating sure. emotions is really awful. So yeah. definitely don't want to do that, but sometimes when like you're... for analyzing it, just, yeah. to, just temporarily like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess before we end this, are there any resources that you want to point people to um, that you have found helpful related to extremism? Anything you think people should read, watch? anything that comes to mind i guess along the lines of well i'm thinking more of uh dash now because okay. there's the george washington program on extremism so if you go to their website they have really interesting uh papers that are coming out so th they have on their website papers about the far right about isis al-qaeda you know just various extremisms and then there's also a specific uh there's specific reports that come out about uh, isis us usage of the of the internet and some encrypted apps so that stuff is very interesting okay 
And anything on white supremacy? Yeah, Life After Hate. Like, look at their, check out okay. their website and what they're doing. It's really, it's really good work. And then yeah. um, there's some, uh, and then there's some great, uh, I, some great books on it. So I'll send you the list too, because it's awesome. like a that'd ton of great. them. So yeah, yeah. that'd be great. Um, anything else you want to add? Uh, enjoy life. <laughs> on a positive note, enjoy life. Yes. And it, keep in mind, oh yeah, here's the other thing. I mean, terrorism, violent extremism, scary words, you know, uh, but in terms of your likelihood of being in, in a terrorist attack or near one or whatever, it's it's extremely low. You're probably, you're more likely to get hit crossing the street. Mm -hmm. So it's like, just keep that in check and don't let, I guess yeah. it's, it, the um, sensationalism surrounding terrorism, especially in the media, like freak you out to such a degree that you think they're coming to get you because it's very, it's, it's not, yeah. that's not the case. Like on one hand, that's that's definitely mm -hmm. what's happening in the media. And then on the other hand, like mass shootings and things like that are being not given enough attention or not enough mm -hmm. weight is put into that in the media. Like this is an actual, an actually concerning threat that's consistently growing in the US. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I feel mm. like with mass shootings, some of them aren't terrorism if there isn't an ideology behind it, because ideology is a marker of this yeah. is, like specifically violent extremism. But That's regardless, true, it doesn't matter. People at, are yeah. killed in these horrible shootings. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, go yeah. to the mall, you die, whatever. It's, right. like, it's mon you're doing mundane things, and you have this horrible threat. You know <laughs> that can yeah. happen anywhere, anytime. So I guess and, the and yet our laws were doing nothing about about uh, smart. Uh, gun reform right so right that's another discussion but yeah that's a good point like the ideology behind it if there is one needs to be looked at if defining it yeah and there's yeah. no like set definition for violent extremism interestingly or terrorism it's not defined really evenly across the board so that's what terrorism studies fields are trying to grapple with right now because okay. there's no single definition which is a huge problem so yeah. hopefully that can get worked out. I'm not gonna solve it. I'm learning. I'm yeah. here learning from experts, you know. And, right, right. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think a, another important thing to realize is just like intersectionality and social justice in a positive way. Um, in a not so positive way, extremisms are also they also intersect a lot. So just being an incel, a lot of a lot of incels, you know, may have this far right ideology. The far right actually has gotten material from ISIS and Al Qaeda and incorporated that into the way they put out. Their propaganda, including certain instructions on how to do certain things. I think you all can imagine what I'm talking about. So there's this weird, you know, intersectionality between extremisms. They're not always mutually exclusive, and it's a very dynamic, changing nature. And sometimes there are certain ideologies that appear uh, appeal to people on the left. On the right, it's not just, you know, like restricted within one sort of political orientation. So mm. that's probably another important thing to keep in mind, especially as we see how terrorism and extremism evolves with, with time. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was interesting. I learned a lot in just half an hour. We haven't really sat down. Like, we always talk kind of casually mm. about um, what you do, but we've never really sat down and talked in depth. This like was this, really so. fun. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for doing this. Thank you. All right. Find us on thequeerarabs.com. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Queer Arabs. And you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. And then Ahmed does the Arabic side of the podcast. And he can be reached at thequeerarabsinarabic at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Talk to you next week.